Well, I am excited to be preaching today, and uh, I'm not even all that, I'm not sad. I thought about this week as I was, you know, preparing and thinking about preaching, and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not sad. But that is not a negative comment. That's not to say that I'm not going to miss any of you or anything like that. It's just, I'm not sad because we are so excited about what the Lord's doing. A lot of the questions still are unanswered. Mary Margaret and I and our family, we're just excited about what the Lord has next for us. So this has been an opportunity for us to grow, to grow in the Lord, to trust in Him. And uh, it's really just been a testimony of His faithfulness to us. Uh, and I, I really, uh, I'm just going to get straight to it this morning. We've got a lot to cover in about 30 minutes or 40 minutes. So I want to get right into it. But before I really start, I want to ask you to go ahead and be turning, if you will, to Luke chapter 2. Put your hand in Luke chapter 2, and we'll be reading the first seven verses of Luke 2. Then also go ahead and flip to Galatians chapter 4. And I also want to encourage you, uh, it's just a simple, small little outline, but if you will flip to the back part of the bulletin, you'll notice a little message, message notes portion. There's a short little outline that I'm going to be following as we go through the passage. If the Lord just happens to put something on your heart, on your mind that you want to jot down, you can put it in there and look at it later. Um, and see what God's Word has done in your life as He spoke to you today in this time of worship. But before we read in Luke chapter 2, I want to tell you something. And what I'm about to tell you, my wife has actually never heard me say publicly. Don't get scared. I'm not going to you know, really throw anybody for a loop here. But my wife has never heard me say this publicly, but here it goes. I was adopted. And I really can't pinpoint when this adoption took place. I've had people in my past to really try to help me. They've tried to pinpoint when it was this adoption took place, when I was welcomed into this new family, and I've never been able to figure out when it was that this adoption took place. But I wasn't really an orphan in the manner in which most people think when you hear that. When I tell you that I was adopted, I wasn't necessarily an orphan in the way in which you think. I was really much worse off than being an abandoned child. I was outside of God's family. I was a stranger to God's family. But there's great news. I'm adopted. So I want us to see this morning that God wants to adopt His people. God wants to welcome us in to His family as His children. When I believed the Gospel and I turned from my sin and I trusted in Jesus, at that moment... I was brought into a royal family. And if you're a Christian, if you have trusted in Jesus and what He did for you on the cross for your sins, then you also have been adopted. And that is wonderful news for us this morning. But what I want us to think about for just a moment before we read this passage is, wouldn't it have been great? Wouldn't it have been, I don't really want to say enough, but wouldn't it have been great if God had just simply chosen to redeem us by forgiving our sins and declaring us righteous, wouldn't that have been great? Wouldn't we have been unbelievably grateful and thankful if God had just decided to save us, to redeem us, to forgive us our sins, to declare us righteous? Wouldn't that have been awesome? But He didn't stop there. He had something even greater in mind. And what he had in mind is that he has decided that he wants to make us his children. How beautiful is that to think that God 
wants to make you his child. But how does he do it? Oftentimes we want to ask those questions. See, because we know from reading the Word, from reading God's Word, we know that God is not, He's not this God. Our Creator is not a God that just snaps His fingers to just get things done. But He's very purposeful in all that He does. In all the things that He brings about, He's very purposeful in how He does it. But I want to ask you a question this morning, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or anything, but I want you to sincerely ask yourself this question. Have you ever wondered whether or not God loves you? I want you to think about it. I want you to sincerely ask yourself this morning, have you ever wondered whether or not God truly loves you? Many of us have probably sat back and we've pondered this at times in our lives. Now granted, it usually comes when we feel that our glass is half empty instead of our glass being half full. That's when we start wondering. That's when we start doubting God's love for us. But think about that time. Maybe it's right now. Maybe you've been asking that question this week, this morning. Whenever it was, whenever it is. In that moment where you wonder, where you doubt if God truly loves you, what in that moment, what does it take to convince you of God's love? What would it take to convince you of God's love? Now, whether you were asking that question as you sit here or you've asked yourself in the past, we have the proof that we desire. That which we want, that desire that we have to know if God truly loves us, we have it. We're given it. God wants to convince us with the proof that He's given us. Here we are. It's December the 16th. Here we are at Christmas time. Here we are first as a church, as a congregation, our first Advent sermon, our first Christmas time sermon. I love Christmas time. Absolutely love it. I'm a little child. I get so giddy when it comes to Christmas. I love so much about it. I love all the decorations. And I love to watch my little boy Harrison. As he gets this excited, as I really do still now, but as I did when I was a child, he gets so excited when he sees all the Christmas lights. And I get to tell him that we're celebrating the light of the world coming down to us. I love that we give each other gifts and they're wrapped up so nicely. And I get to tell my children, but we're celebrating the greatest gift that the world has ever known. And it was simply wrapped up in some swaddling cloths that they had on hand. I love the message of Christmas. Love everything about it. So here's what we're going to do in our next few moments together. We're going to look at this child in the manger. And we're going to ask this question, what child is this? Yes, I, I emailed and called Derek this week and said, we've got to sing, what child is this? So we're going to look at the question, what child is this? And if you'll notice from the outline in the bulletin, if you'll notice, it's what child is this holy infant or holiday infant? Who is the babe in the manger? We're going to be asking this question, and I want us to read from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. Now, normally, we have you stand, normally, when we read the passage for the sermon, out of reverence for God's Word. But this morning, I want to ask you to stay seated right where you are. Instead of getting the children stood up and where they need to be, and I'm halfway through 
reading it, I want you to stay right where you are. And I want you to follow along with me as I read our passage this morning. Starting in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Hear God's Word. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now flip over to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we give you praise this morning that you have not stayed silent. We are all struck this morning that the Creator of the universe has chosen to speak to us through the pages of Scripture. So God, would you open our eyes, would you open our hearts, would you speak directly to us this morning by your Spirit that is working in our lives. Would you draw us closer to yourself as we, as we study, as we reflect, as we meditate, as we look to the question of what child is this that was laid in the manger? Speak to us. Tune our hearts to the things of you. Would we not look to the things of this world, to the things in the world to come that you have promised? And we pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So here's where I want us to go. Here's our roadmap for this morning. Three simple little questions that we're going to be answering about what child this is. Number one, when was Jesus born? Secondly, I want us to look at the circumstances in which Jesus was born. And then thirdly, what is the purpose in his coming? When was Jesus born? What were the circumstances in which he was born? And what is the purpose in his coming. So who is this child? As we look at these things, I want to see who this infant son is exactly. Jesus is the child for whom all of time had waited. That is who this child is. In the verses that we just read, in verse 6 of the Gospel of Luke, it tells us that the time came for her to give birth. That sounds about right, doesn't it? We don't have any problems right here. The time came for her to give birth, this young girl, Mary, had miraculously conceived a child, and she'd now carried the child in her womb for eight and a half, nine months. It was now time for her to give birth to the child. But we want to answer the question, but what child is it? Who is this child? I want us to see what Scripture does for us. We know much more about the birth of this baby that's placed in the manger than we do about any other birth ever. Have you ever thought about that? We know more about the birth of this baby than we do about any other birth ever. This child, this baby that was laid in this manger, was not ready to be born just because his mother had carried him for the appropriate amount of time, but rather 
Galatians 4 tells us precisely why this baby was to be born and when this baby was to be born. Verse 4 of Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. Now what this verse does for us is it causes us to explore the timing of Christ's appearance in this world. When did Christ appear in the world? When the fullness of time had come. When everything that needed to be completed, when everything that needed to be fulfilled in order for the Messiah to come, that's when Jesus was going to be born. When was Jesus born? When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son to be born of woman. There is no doubt in my mind why Jesus didn't come a little earlier. I don't doubt why Jesus didn't come a little bit later. I also find comfort right now. No matter what's going on in my life, I find comfort in not guessing, wondering, Lord, why don't you come right now? Come back. Where's your return? Surely it's near. I find comfort knowing that Scripture tells me when the fullness of time had come according to the purpose of God, He sent forth His Son and He's going to do it again. That's our comfort. I want you to see that. I want you to find comfort in that this morning. We may question certain things at certain times, but Scripture really pulls an old Barney Fife for us here and nips it in the bud. When the fullness of time had come, don't question it. God has told us His timing is perfect. And we're going to see in just a little while as we unpack this, that His timing for the things that are happening in your life, guess what? They're perfect. Whatever you're going through, God's timing is perfect. Now I want us to move into the circumstances of Jesus' birth. Our attention is directed towards the circumstances in which the eternal Son of God was born. He was, verse 4, part 2, born of woman. I shared with Mary Margaret last week that I was going to be preaching on this Sunday, and one afternoon I dropped by, and I just wanted to put my arm around the kids, wanted to put my arm around her neck, and I pulled up in front of the house, and they were kind of looking for me out of the window, and they came running out, I rolled my window down, and she kind of tossed in this magazine that had come in in the mail that day, and she goes, I don't know, who knows, that might help you with your sermon. And she was right. I took it back to the office with me, I opened it up, and I began reading, and there was There was an article in this magazine. It talks about how the humiliation of Jesus' birth foreshadows the humiliation of Jesus' death. And by humiliation, we mean that Jesus, He submitted Himself. He humbled Himself and He submitted to what was required to awaken us as spiritually dead people. But there's more here by the expression, born of woman, and we saw it in the Luke 2 passage. Let's read verses 6 and 7 of Luke 2 again. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now what we learn is that Mary gave birth to her son and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths. We're good right here. Nothing unusual about that. We're up to speed right here. Baby's born. Mary takes her son. 
wraps him in swaddling cloths. But then we are told that Mary laid him in a manger. Now really for the first time we realize that this was not a normal birth that was carried out at home. For the first time we see there's something not quite normal. There's nothing, not, it's not quite usual here in this birth. I know many of us have probably heard the comments before that Jesus' birth took place in an animal shelter. But we're not really shocked anymore by the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth. We're not. We're so used to the story, we know it. We set up our nativity scene sets in our house. And we have really pretty ones. We enjoy them. We put them out. We're, we're kind of immune to the fact that Jesus was born in an animal shelter. But Mary was not an earthly queen. But what a shock it is. What a shock it ought to be to learn that the eternal Son of God was born in a stable. But God was very, very intentional in the humbling birth of His Son. You see, our shock, or at least the shock we ought to have, at the birth of Jesus should reveal, and even more so, really, at Jesus' death, should reveal our amazement that God would do this for us. We really should be shocked. We should be amazed that God would do this for us. For us and our salvation. The salvation of your children. God gave His own child. I was driving into the church this morning. I normally get here 8 to 8.15. At 8.43, I was in the YMCA parking lot riding as fast as I could. I said i got to say it. That's what this passage is telling us. So I just kind of threw it up on this page. So bear with me as we go through this together. Because I really wanted, to, really wanted us to see the comfort that we are giving, given in Jesus' humble birth. What we see here with Jesus being born, this child that's placed in a manger, we are given a comfort that I promise you. Nobody on this earth can give you. There is no comfort you will find anywhere that is any greater than that that Scripture gives you from God Himself. Have you ever had those moments in your life where you had to ask, are you kidding me? Now, are you kidding me? The timing of this could not be worse. Maybe you follow that up with, the timing of this could not be worse, God. My family and I just went through this. I'm standing up here preaching to you the very last time as a staff member, as a pastor of this church. My family and I just went through this. I wanted to say, are you kidding me? I'm a husband. I'm a father of three. It's about to be Christmas. Who's hiring right now? The timing could not be worse. I was asking those questions. Maybe... Even like you, I said, Lord, I'm doing the best I can. And I even said, dot, 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 I'm trying to serve you. Oh, <laughs> get you into trouble. But why is this happening now? I lost my job. This timing seems awful. Maybe you're saying, Lord, I don't want to be here. I want to be somewhere else. I'm not happy. I'm lonely. I feel hopeless. And then we remember, maybe through a friend, Maybe through a spouse. Maybe through a child. But then we remember that God will never leave 
or forsake us. But I don't see any good in my circumstances right now, God. I just I don't see any good in it. You may not be where you want to be. You may wonder how God's going to get you from here to there. But God had no problems, did he, getting Joseph and getting Mary from where they were to where they needed to be. We can't miss it this morning. The comfort that God's Word is screaming at us. So what I want us to see about this child in the manger is the comfort that he brings to us in his humble birth. If God has to use a Roman emperor to get you where he wants you to be, it's going to happen. He got Joseph and Mary where they needed to be. And here's the irony of it all. We don't have time to flip back and read this, but here's the irony of it all. And I love this. I love when God just speaks to me in His Word, and He kind of goes, boing, and just kind of hits you. And you go, why do I doubt? Why do I wonder? I'll tell you exactly why you doubt. It's to increase your faith in God. Not to put your finger on it. Not so that you have to be proven. Not so that you say, okay, now that you've proved it to me, now that I see exactly what you're going to do. But he says, I want to increase your faith in me, not in yourself and what you can accomplish. Harrison, what you can do for your family is securing a job. He says, I want to increase your faith in me, in your Father. So here's the irony of it all. Do you remember back in chapter 1 of Luke? We read, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. This is an angel. Come down to speak to Mary. O favored one, the Lord God has found favor with you. You are going to be with child, and it's God's son. How much favor do you want? It's God. And then what happens? We get over in chapter 2, and, well, um, we just need a room to sleep because it might be a little chilly outside or i I may have this baby, but uh, no, go away. There's no room for you. I'm the favored one. Uh, hey, angels, white robes, yellow lights, came down. They spoke to me. Come on. Th- these circumstances don't match up what God told me. God told me, I love you. I will not forsake you. I'll never leave you. We need a room for the night. Go away. There's no place for you. Do those circumstances really match up with the promise, with the blessing that God had made this young family, to Joseph, to Mary? He said, we gave your room away. But you know what? There's a cattle stall out back. Why don't you go try that out? So what do they do? That's exactly what they do. But our circumstances don't always fit to us, do they? I'm with you, God says. He says, I love you. I am with you. I will never, ever, 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 ever forsake you. He shall be called the Son of the Highest. Put Him right there over where the cows eat their straw and empty their bowels. God says to us, I love you. You I will never leave you. Yet some of us hear from the doctor, it's cancer. Maybe it's worse. I love you, says God. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We have to lay you off because we can't afford your position. I love you. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I just don't love you anymore. I found somebody else. I love you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Dad, Mom, I'm pregnant. 
I love you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Mom, I hate you and I never want to see you again. I love you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The promises and the blessings that we hear from God are not always going to match up to the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Know that they will not always match up. It's not if they don't. It's when they don't. And maybe you're experiencing that right now. And God is saying, I love you. I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. Jesus' humiliation continues, though, in the rest of verse 4, doesn't it? So Jesus is the son who was born at the fullness of time. When did it come? He was born of woman, laid in a manger, and now we read that he was born under the law. Now I'm going to assume, for the purposes of time this morning, that many of you here, maybe we've studied, we've heard sermons, we've sat through Sunday school, had teaching, whatever it is, on what it means that Jesus was born under the law. But before moving on too quickly, I'll highlight one thing for us. Jesus being born under the law means that he, remind you, the eternal Son of God, that he was made subject to all the penalties of breaking the law. I don't think we grasp the multitude of that, of what that means. Before he came to earth, he was not subject to any penalties. But when he entered into time and space and being born, he was now made to be under the law. And if he had sinned, oh baby, bad news for us, bad news for him. He was made to be under the law, made subject to the penalties of breaking the law. So why in the world did God himself humbly take on real flesh and blood and be born of a woman and cry from a feeding trough because he needed his mother's milk just to stay alive physically? Why did he do this? Verse 5 gives us the answer. Look at Galatians 4, verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So when we read this, we understand that we've now made a switch. Here we are. We've made the switch. We've now switched from the circumstances of Jesus' coming to the purpose of his coming. Two weeks ago, we went as a family off Acton Road and drove up to Briarwood Presbyterian's live walk-through nativity. I don't know how many of you have, have done this. And here's why I loved it. Here's why I absolutely loved this thing. I'd never seen it before. Hadn't talked to anybody that had ever done it. I loved it because I shouldn't have had any expectations. But like most of us and with most things, I had expectations. And I expected the whole, I think, 13 scenes. They, I think they said there were 13 scenes we were going to walk through. I, I really expected all 13 scenes to be centered around what my kids kept talking about. We want to see baby Jesus. We want to see, Daddy, I want to see baby Jesus. They wanted to see the baby Jesus. I thought all 13 scenes were going to be centered around the baby crying out for his mother. But here's why I loved it. As we walked through these scenes, as you got into just a few of the scenes, it caused my children to start asking a few questions. Mary Ellen Harrison were all pumped up to see baby Jesus. But as we got past Jesus as a baby, we got to the scenes as Jesus as a little boy, and then Jesus as a man, they started asking where Jesus was. Daddy, where's Jesus? 
the walk through nativity ended not with Jesus crying out for His mother's milk, but crying out from the cross for His Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So they went from baby Jesus crying for His mother to Jesus the Savior crying out for His Father. That's what we should see this morning. He was asking and pleading for His Father's favor because He was experiencing His Father's separation. But why was Jesus' death so horrible for Him? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever asked yourself, why was Jesus' death so, so horrible for Him? Was it all the more worse for Jesus? Yes. But why was it all the more worse for Jesus? Because He was experiencing the full wrath of the Almighty God. And it was even more agonizing for Jesus because He had enjoyed and experienced the closest love relationship with his, with his Father more than anything or anybody in this world has ever known. That's why it was so agonizing for Him. We're not talking about the circumstances surrounding Jesus' nativity, but we're st- instead we're talking about the purpose of His nativity. But God, through Paul here in Galatians, says that Jesus was born in order to, to what? In order to redeem. He has in mind here the act of rescuing, of releasing, or of delivering. The nation of Israel is our theme. It's our backdrop here. Do you remember the price that was paid for the nation of Israel's deliverance from Egypt? We're not going to turn back there this morning, but do you remember the price that was paid for Israel's deliverance? How through Moses, Israel learned how God is not willing, nor is God able to forgive sin without first requiring a satisfaction for it. So Israel offered the Passover lamb in Exodus 12. And they saw the redemption from slavery in Pharaoh's kingdom, and all the firstborn of Egypt were what? They were slaughtered. They were killed. And thank goodness what we celebrate is a redemption greater than that of Moses. Israel's deliverance from Egypt shows us the gospel. It shows us the wonderful news, and it's all the more fully realized in Jesus. So God offers His firstborn son for sinners just like me, and as you've often heard me say, for sinners just like you. That when the fullness of time, God sent forth His child for sinners like you and for sinners like me. But Paul doesn't stop there, does he? Look a little further with me in verse 5 of Galatians 4. We're almost done. Paul describes this child of Christmas as the one who had come at the fullness of time, born of woman, to redeem, but to redeem those under the law. This is really important, and it really sort of gets lost sometimes in translation here, I think. By those under the law, he now describes all whom the Son came to redeem. His point in this is to speak to us this morning in a very unique and in a very special way. He's trying to reach all those, hear this, He's trying to speak to all those who know they are obliged to God's law, but who, 
because of their bondage, because of their slavery and sin, are absolutely powerless to satisfy the requirements. You this morning, do you know that you justly deserve God's wrath? Do you also know that you are absolutely powerless to satisfy His wrath? If you answer yes to those questions, then what we're celebrating this morning, what you will celebrate tomorrow, next week, and after the Christmas tree is put out on the street to be picked up or thrown in a lake for bass to build a nest, what we are celebrating is the best news that you will ever hear. No matter what job you end up getting, no matter what house you and your spouse end up in, no matter how accelerated your child is academically, the comfort we have in the gospel is greater than any comfort any desire that we have in this world. If we have any sort of comprehension that we are born in need because we're born in sin, then we understand the depth of what God has done for us in Jesus because, and here's what I, I don't think we, I don't think we go here. I want us to go here this morning. We don't understand that this child came to bring release. That this child in the manger came to bring deliverance. This child in the manger came to bring release, came to bring freedom for us. Jesus, He obeyed the law perfectly. He never looked at a woman lustfully, but He only saw her beauty as being made in God's image. Who of us in this room can say that that's what we've done? Jesus, who never told a crude joke, just to get a laugh. The one who helped everyone who was in need, always, without exception, whether it was physical, whether it was emotional, whether it was financial, whatever the need, he met it. Who always glorified his Father in all that he did and all that he said. So what child is this? He's the one who has quieted your restless conscience. That is so comforting. He's gained you access to your God and He has secured and assured your acceptance before our Father. And lastly this morning, I want us to see that this child of the manger came so that we might receive adoption as sons. So important for us to see that God has chosen to make us His children. This ending in verse 5 is sort of our culminating point. We've been building up to this. Been building up to the last part of verse 5. Let me read it again. Verses 4 and 5 of Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born of the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We've looked at the circumstances of His birth. We've looked at the purpose of His birth. Now let's conclude with what it means that the child who was placed in the manger was born in order to make us heirs. In this last part of verse 5, we learn the ultimate goal, and yes, I said the ultimate goal of Jesus' coming. But I don't know that we fully appreciate it, and here's why. I don't think any of us in this room understand or remember 
how God saw us before our adoption. Think about that for just a moment. How did God see you before your adoption? Who were you? Before His name was placed on you, who were you? We learn through this passage this morning in Galatians 4 that without God's adoption, we were not children of God, but children of disobedience, justly deserving His displeasure. But we've learned this morning through God's Word and the comfort that we receive in it that because of the purpose of Jesus' coming, that we are given the full rights and the full privileges that belong only to God's Son because we were neither His children, we were neither His heirs, by our nature or by our birth, so He has placed His name on you. He has adopted you. You are a fellow heir with Christ in glory. If this morning you can say with confidence that you are trusting in God, in Jesus, in His Spirit that is at work in your life and not the things that you can accomplish, that you understand that you are absolutely powerless to satisfy God's wrath, that you must look to another. If you are trusting in Jesus this morning, then you can rest assured that this baby Jesus who was placed in the manger is the one that became a servant so that all the servants of sin might have available to them the inheritance of sons and daughters of the Most High. But with regards to Jesus' coming, heaven came down, so to speak. The Father agreed to send His Son, and the Son agreed to be sent by the Father, and we know He's going to come again. He's not always been man, but He's always been God. Jesus, the Christ, was not first a man in which divinity descended. He was God who took upon Himself humanity, humbly born in a cattle stall. And this morning, I hope you've seen not only the circumstances in which He was born, that's stable, that cattle stall. But I hope you've also seen the purpose for which Jesus was born, which is to redeem you, to call a people to Himself, to make you His child, to give you an inheritance, to show His love for sinners. So during this Christmas season, I hope the manger will remind you to put your faith in this child. I'm adopted. Are you? Heavenly Father, we just, Lord, in your presence right now, Lord, we just thank you for the comfort that you give us in your word. We give you praise that you love us. You love us although we are absolutely unlovable. But you have gone as far as to give us your own child to take our place, to show us just how much you love us. That no matter the circumstances, no matter how we feel that you have promised us and blessed us, that when we find that there's no room for us in the end, that we know that our circumstances do not thwart your purpose. Would you remind us this Christmas season, would you remind us in every season we ever experience that you love us, that you have placed your name on us that You have adopted us, that You are no longer just God, but You are Father. Would we come to rest, to lean on our Father?
We pray all of this in the wonderful, the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.